Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Father of the Bride. Nothing personal word of the day. Today's Monday, Martin Luther King Day, January 17th, 2022. We're not taking the day off, Coca. If there were ever a day to take off, this would have been it, having pulled in from my daughter's wedding only a few hours ago, dancing, drinking, partying, celebrating, gushing with pride, I am the father of the bride, and I milked it, by the way, Coca. There are lines at the bar, which I don't like at parties, so I wanted as many bars as possible, but there were lines. But the entire night, there was someone assigned to me that whenever I wanted any drink, any anything, it would be snap of a finger, and I would get it. So people began to catch on to that during the course of the night. So I would have people coming to me for orders. I would place the order, get the drinks in between dances, while schwitzing, never took the coat off though. I've, have you ever had that where you know you're sweating through your shirt, so you either choose to take your blazer off or the top of your tux, or you just wear it? I wore it like a man last night. I'm gonna give you a couple top five lists. It was, uh, it was an emotional night having your daughter get married. I was watching her walk down the aisle. She was walked down by her siblings, my two other children, and as she's coming down the aisle, my head almost exploded. If we were in a movie, here's the scene that would be playing. It was her birth. It was reading books to her when she was one years old. Is it one year old or one years old? One year old, as a one year old. It was her first day of elementary school, middle school. It was high school, college, graduate school. It was watching her become a woman and she's walking down the aisle and all this is going through my mind and time froze. So she comes up onto the bima, which is the stage where you get married. It was a Jewish wedding. And I'm standing right near her, like a foot away. And the rabbi is to my right. And I had one job to do during the wedding. And it was before the wedding, make sure the room is cold. It was gonna be an outdoor wedding, but a huge storm came through Florida yesterday. There were 40-mile-an-hour winds, so the, move, the, the wedding was moved inside, no problem. You take half of the reception room. You make it the place where you get married. Of course, they upcharge you for draping everything because it had to look beautiful with flowers everywhere, and, and her grandfather's talus was on top of the chuppah. It was all great. Dad, please make sure it's as cold as a studio. And you know when TV shows are done, and they're filmed, or David Letterman, or any such shows, you keep the studio cold because when you're on air, you don't want to schwitz. So I made it incredibly cold in there. I went to the wedding planner. I went to the people in the hotel. 
So Hannah's standing there next to her soon-to-be husband. The rabbi is going through the blessings. Hannah looks at me and says, I'm hot. And I said, what do you want me to do? And that was so symbolic of what parenting is. You so badly want to solve all of the problems for your kids. You so badly don't want them to have any adversity whatsoever that you're put in a position where when it's absolutely impossible to do anything about the issue, I pulled my phone out of my jacket during the wedding to give her a peek of the phone saying, hey, should I call somebody? Should I walk off the Bema? What should I do to help you? And then her fiance, soon to be husband, noticed everything that was happening and said, all right, we're good. You're good. You look great. The wedding continued. I want to give you two top five lists because I had a bunch of things go on during the wedding. I'm going to start with the top five wedding epiphanies. These are the top five things that I thought about and that they came to me as an epiphany would during the course of the wedding. Wedding is defined, it's a, it's a capital W. The defined term for today is anything that happened yesterday. From the minute I opened my eyes until the minute I came back to the room after the after party. Which by the way included ice skating and bowling. Not brilliant to put on ice skates in my state of mind at one o'clock in the morning. And I think I broke the tendons in both ankles but it was awesome, and I did throw a strike in bowling, and I dropped the ball and walked away from the bowling alley. Okay, top five wedding epiphanies. Number one, this is in no particular order. This was an event where there were several people missing from the event, and you all know, because I've shared it with you over the past year, that I lost my father and I lost my sister. That's Hannah's grandfather and Hannah's aunt, her fiance, now husband Ryan, has grandparents who have passed away. Hannah's godmother has passed away. My best man at my wedding this past year passed away as well, who was very close to Hannah. So it's just been a lot of loss. And the epiphany I had is that in the Jewish religion, you celebrate when people die. Shiva is not where you sit around and cry. You're supposed to celebrate people's lives. And one thing that I've always been taught by whether it was my mother, really my mother, taught me it's what you do for people when they're alive, which is much more important than what you do for them after they're dead. Meaning, don't miss opportunities to share moments. And during the wedding, I had this feeling that there was something really good happening. There were good moments happening where there is the gorilla in the room is the fact that there's been loss, but yet life continues. There's dancing, there's ruach, there's celebration. And the epiphany was that life continues and you make every day, you just have to keep going. That was the number one. Number two, there has been tremendous progress in the Samson family since my wedding. At my wedding, there was so much fighting going on between parents and in-laws and just it was a disaster and that my wedding was in 1990 and there were there was just fighting for no particular reason i couldn't figure out what was going on my fiance who became my wife 
we couldn't figure out it. There was just tons of tension, and we said, we're going to do it differently. So there has been progress in the Samson family. Even when there's divorce, there has been progress. There was no drama, no fighting. So we have stopped that in its tracks. That was an epiphany, something that was very important to me, and it happened. Number three, someone came up to me during the day and said, your father of the bride, are you ready to be a grandfather? I hadn't even thought of that. The answer is no. And the person continued on and said, guess what? You're going to be Zadie or Papa. How do you feel about that? And I said, I feel fine because I'm never going to be Zadie. I'm never going to be Grandpapa or Papa. I am going to be David. Well, what happens if your grandchild is told by your daughter to call you Zadie? And I will say, that's fine, but I will never respond. And eventually the kids will say, David, yes, what can I do for you? Is that really going to hold up? Can I really still be David when I'm a grandfather? Which I'm not going to be anytime soon, I assume. I assume. I will not be Zadie. That was an epiphany. Number four. I was watching Hannah during, there's a, uh, there's dancing that goes on and I was watching her and I was thinking about her and watching her engage with her friends. She had friends from camp. She had friends from school. She had friends from high school, college, graduate school, her summer camp, etc. And I saw a level of happiness in her that gave me an unbelievable amount of relief. You know the expression, you can only be as happy as your least happy child? Well, it's very true. If you have two children, you're always, for the rest of your life, I have three children, for the rest of my life, I'm always only as happy as my least happy child. And I looked around the room and I had three happy children yesterday. And Hannah is now married, so I have a fourth child, because I do view him that way. And their type of happy that they had, that they have, that they will have, the epiphany I had is the possibility of permanence for a child to be that happy means that now I'm down to two kids who if they are as happy as Hannah is, wow, I've got a chance to be fully happy. That was an epiphany. My last epiphany, number five. Did I start at one or did I start at five? Am I counting up? I can't remember what I started with, Coca, but here it is, appreciation. I was watching everyone party and enjoy themselves. I was thinking about that today was Martin Luther King Day. I was thinking about the struggles of, that we've had, the, the pandemic, the fact that everyone had to be vaccinated to be at the wedding, the fact that everyone took a rapid test, and if you're in the room, you were negative, either PCR or rapid, and you were vaccinated. And it could have been a super spreader event. I hope not. I feel fine. Although last night at about 2 o'clock, Coke, I almost went to urgent care. My throat was closing. I had pains in my genetic but I'm okay. I had appreciation for not just what I have, the material things. I had appreciation for family and for the love that was shared. Uh, yesterday, I had great appreciation. That's my top five epiphanies. I got to do a top five wedding moments because let me tell you, there were a lot of moments during the wedding and I made a top five. Number one, during the course of planning the wedding, the wedding was going to be outdoors. That's how it was supposed to be. 
Then the weather, 10-day forecast, perfect, sunny, beautiful, no wind. We are in. All's good. All of a sudden, storm comes. Hannah wanted to have outdoor pictures with her groomsmen and bridesmaids, and there was no way to do it on the wedding day. She was despondent beyond repair. I'm at breakfast Saturday morning with the three kids and Ryan and my other daughter's boyfriend, and all of a sudden, we called an Omaha. We were workshopping the issue. The issue was Hannah wanted outdoor pictures. The issue was we couldn't do it the next day. We Omaha'd, called the wedding photographer, got the wedding dress, got the glam people, and they did bridesmaids and groomsmen pictures outdoors the day before the wedding in full wedding dress, in full tuxedos, and Hannah was happy. The moment of the audible and seeing her face when it came together, texting all the groomsmen and bridesmaids saying, bring your tux today, we're, we're going early, getting the photographer there, calling everyone to make sure the outdoor space was available. That sort of Omaha, you dream about it. It's like calling an audible at the line of scrimmage at the end of a game with 14 seconds left on the 40-yard line, and you call a quarterback draw, and you make it all the way to the end zone. That's the type of audible we had. That was a moment. Two, when you're in the wedding, after the wedding, you go to the party, there's dancing. In a Jewish wedding, you do the hora. Ha, va, Nikhil. Ever see wedding, wedding crashers? where uh, uh, Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn, they're in the Jewish wedding and they're doing Hava, Nagila, Hava, Nagila, right? You've seen that. And then you lift the bride and groom in a chair. It is a tradition where you lift them in a chair and they have a handkerchief between them which shows they're bound forever, yada, yada, yada. Top five moment, number two, Ryan, the groom, his chair was plastic and broke. Ryan's not a big guy. I mean, he's very tall and striking and thin and great, but should definitely not be breaking chairs. So the moment was the plastic chair breaking. The epiphany number six is don't use plastic chairs when you're lifting a bride and groom. Number three, I was given one minute for the father of the bride speech. Speeches can be rally killers at parties, right? The, the torch gets snuffed the fun torch, the dance torch, the party torch. It's a snuffathon when there's 20 minute speeches. So, given one minute, people set the over under for my speech at two minutes. And guess what? I went 48 seconds. 48 seconds for the father of the bride speech. Banged it. I told Ryan I loved him. I told Hannah I loved her. I said, Hannah, you are just like me. I'm so lucky to have you as a daughter. You have taken the best part of me and you have jettisoned all of the worst parts. You keep doing that and you are going to be just fine. Raise a glass. That was the toast. That was a great moment. A father of the bride giving a toast. Four, there was a father-daughter dance. Remember I told you I was going to dance like no one was watching as a New Year's resolution at my daughter's wedding? Well, guess what? I did dance all night long, Lionel Richie, like nobody was watching. I'm sure plenty of people were watching. During the father-daughter dance, she and I were dancing, and we hadn't practiced. And we had a moment during the dance where I looked into her eyes, and she looked at me and then looked away because it can be awkward when your father is looking in your eyes and you're dancing, and we're about the same size because she was in heels. I'm 5'5", five five, she's 5'1", with heels. It was 
pretty pretty darn close. So eye to eye. And there's that moment like, oh, I'm going to look away now. I'm going to look around at the room. Who's looking? How are we doing? But she and I had a moment where we looked in each other's eyes, and it was an unspoken word of her saying thank you, me saying I love you, her saying I love you too. And it felt totally out of body just having that moment where there was no one in the room. Again, if we were in a movie, they would cut to an empty room. They would cut to no music except the thoughts and the, and the, and the sort of memories in our head. And that was a moment. And the top five, number five moment was after the party. It was at that place called the basement where there's bowling and ice skating. And I must tell you, while ice skating, I, I'm 53. You know how old I am. Turn 54 next month. I view myself as young. I feel like I look young. I try to hang with the kids. I try to party all night. I try to do athletic things. I'll do anything so I can possibly be Peter Pan, right? I've got the syndrome. I think we all know that. I don't dye my hair. I don't do anything to my face because I'm lucky in that way, but I like feeling young. Well, I'm there with a bunch of 25, 26-year-olds. They're all ice skating. They're all hammered. They're all doing great. I put on the ice skates. I get on the ice, and I say to myself, hey, this may not be smart. And that feeling of having that thought process was one of the funniest moments I've had that I realized that my time of participating was slowly segueing into my time of spectating. And that's a moment that is hard to have, right? In your 50s or any time when you're used to being the participant and all of a sudden you're the spectator and you realize that's the smart move. It's like different places at a party. There's people on the dance floor who are having just going crazy. Then there's people on the fringe of the dance floor who are sort of moving their arms and moving their legs, but they're not quite dancing. Then there's people sitting at the chairs that are around the dance floor, not standing up, not moving to the music but sort of watching, but right from near. And then there's tables way away from the band, close to the door where people stay at the tables. Those are generally the older people who you don't put near the band, you don't put near the speakers. And life is a series of going from the middle of the dance floor to the end of the room at the table where you can't even see the dance floor. And I felt myself take a step further away from the middle of the dance floor last night at one in the morning with size eight skates on, not tied tightly enough around my tux pants as my ankle tendons were splitting in a way that they shouldn't. I said, it's time to spectate. I appreciate that you took the time to let me go through that. I know that that's not normal to have an 18 minute part of nothing personal. I'm glad you did not turn the channel I love that you are with me and that you're allowed to share these moments and that I love when you share these moments with me. Now, I did not get a chance to watch as much football as I would have liked, but it was this is what Roger Goodell has wanted. This sort of wild card weekend, four games, three on uh, whatever day it was, three on Sunday, two on Saturday, one on Monday, six. Is that right, Coca? Do I have the number right? Was it, is, are there six wild card games? That's 12 playoff teams plus two buys is 14. Does that sound at all correct? Are you with me, Coke? Are there six games this week? Hello? Were you at the wedding? Yes. Thank you. Okay. So there's the game tonight, as you know. So there were three games yesterday. I'm not really following, but I'm checking for scores because I know I've got picks of the day to think about. Some stuff happened that we just have to mention. When you are a executive of a team, 
One of the things that you know you can't control but you try to control is who the umpires are going to be for your playoff series. In the NFL, who's going to be the umpiring crew for your playoff game? In the NBA, you know the rotation of the referees. There's certain referees you don't like playing for. There's certain homer referees. There's certain referees who don't like your team, like your team. They say the referees are blind, but that's not true. All referees and umpires know every player. They have a relationship with players, with teams, with executives. And to say there is no personal bias that comes is just incorrect. To say they don't know lines and they don't know situations, they don't know which teams leagues want to advance, all that is incorrect. That doesn't mean referees fix games like Tim Donaghy. He was a gambler. I'm just talking about the, the biases that occur in places that you just don't think about, but they, they exist. You have them in your life. I have them in my life. Totally normal. Well, in the Raiders-Bengals game, the Bengals were trying to win a playoff game for the first time in 30 years. I just want to make sure you're clear on that. The Cincinnati Bengals had gone 30 years without winning a playoff game. The Raiders had gone 18, and they were playing each other. Someone's going to win a playoff game and get off this list. This is the list of infamy in football to not even get a playoff win. Forget conference championship. Forget Super Bowl. We're talking about winning one playoff game. 30 years for the Bengals. 30 years. 29 for the Detroit Lions. 20 for the Dolphins, which is unbelievable. The Dolphins have not won a playoff game in 20 years. Raiders, 18. By the way, that's seasons, not years, but I think it's the same thing. So the Bengals and Raiders are playing each other. Touchdown from Joe Burrow. Whistle, shouldn't be a touchdown. Rule to touchdown. It's a very simple rule. When the whistle blows, the play is dead. Done. The whistle blew with the ball in the air. The ball's dead. Whistle blows. The ball keeps going through the air, gets caught, and then bing, bang, boom, 20 to 6. Bengals. And then after the game, the referee said, yeah, that was right. The whistle was after the catch. There is clear and convincing proof that the whistle was before the catch. When you are an owner of a team, Mark Davis has to believe that Roger Goodell wants nothing more than to have the Raiders not be in the conversation for the rest of the year. Just let the John Gruden lawsuit pass. Let all the nightmare that has been the Raiders be finished. By the way, Coca, side note, I don't know if you want to put this in the show, I've lost complete feeling in my left leg. I'm sitting in a weird way on a chair in the hotel room, and my left leg is numb and tingly, and I don't know what to do about that. I don't know if you can see it on the show right now, but I, I cannot feel it. All right, 14, 28, 69. So I believe Roger Goodell has it in for the Raiders. We've talked about nothing personal, and once you know it, the Raiders are out of the playoffs. But guess what? So is that entire umpire referee crew. They're not going to get another assignment. In the NFL, you get assignments when you do the right thing, when you're good at your job. They're done for the playoffs. Are you shocked by that? And that wasn't even the craziest part of the weekend that involved referees. And it should have been because for them to be that involved, not good. Cut to the Cowboys game, America's team. The game that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman so badly wanted to call, they were stuck calling the Bucks eagles game. If you did not bet the Bucks this weekend, then you're, you have not been paying attention. Tom Brady was not going to play a close game with the Philadelphia Eagles. Tom Brady is like Michael Jordan in that way. He's got his own motivation, his own memory from the Super Bowl loss to the Eagles. It's different players, different everybody. He was going to crush them. Fine. Fox takes that game, puts his number one crew on the game. It, whatever. Blowout. Cowboys, Niners, what a game. Cowboys are down six points. No timeouts left. 
They're on the 50-yard line. Hail Mary, maybe a quick out, 10 yards, and then a Hail Mary. A quarterback draw from Dak Prescott, one of the highest paid players in the league for his arm. He runs. He doesn't get tackled, which is brilliant of the Niners just to stand at the goal line and make sure you tackle him before the goal line because time will run out. They have no timeouts. Dak Prescott goes down and the clock runs out. And here was the problem. The referee was late to spot the ball. He was running full speed. He ran into Prescott. I don't know how that happens. And then placed the ball where it was supposed to go. Sort of fumbled it, replaced it. Clock goes to zero. Game over. That's it. It's not reviewed. It's not anything. And everyone's going crazy on McCarthy, the former Packers coach, saying, oh, how could you make that call? It was terrible. That wasn't the problem. If you're Dak Prescott and you know that you've got six seconds, five, four, you go down. You either run straight to the sideline out of bounds if you can, or you just go down. And he ran right up the gut, which means you better have one eye on the clock. Or if you're a coach or if you're other players and you know you're calling a quarterback draw, you better make sure someone's assigned to telling him when to take a knee and get ready for the final 20-yard pass. So the execution of the play was horrific. It wasn't the play call that was the problem. This was not calling a quarterback sneak from the nine-yard line at third and nine of your own nine. It's not calling a quarterback sneak fourth and two when you need a touchdown the way the Jets did this year. This was the proper play call, not executed, and then the referee, because in football, the trailing referee has to spot the ball. I think there's going to be a rule change, Coca. I think at the end of a game, anybody in stripes has to be ready to spot the ball. And if there's a huge play, like an 80-yard play in college, they stop the ball because they stop the clock, right? First down, you stop the clock, done, done, done. You then reset it, start the clock again. There's time to spike it. I think in college, you need three seconds. Like the Trent Tucker rule of college football is you need three seconds. Trent Tucker is the three-point rule, NBA. You can't have a three-pointer with under .3 seconds left. That's because Trent Tucker scored with .1 seconds left at the Garden, the game I was at, with my sister, my dad. What were we talking about? Oh, so there has to be anybody in stripes who can put a ball down and get a playoff. Jerry Jones, who is very influential in ownership circles, is watching a home game, watching his team lose, takes the high road after the game and says, hey, we shouldn't have even been in that position. That's what you always say if you're really on top of your messaging with PR, you say, that wasn't the problem. Mark my words, Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell had a conversation yesterday. They're going to have a conversation today because Jerry Jones is not going to stand back and allow a rule not to be changed that cost him a chance. That's owner Jerry Jones, not GM Jerry Jones. Fascinating. He said he was extraordinarily disappointed. Very disappointed. We are so disappointed for our fans. Quite a letdown. All right. Thank you, Jerry. All right, we come back. I watched a series. It's I, I got Peacock to get this series. It's called Wolf Like Me. And we're also going to give you an update when we come back. Guess where the Joker is. Because he ain't got no shrimp on the bobby. We'll be right back. 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. How are you? Thank you for being here, for rating, for reviewing, for following, for doing all the things you do to keep this show going. We come to you every day, almost every day, pretty much every day. I mean, here we are, Mount of the King Day, hours after I took off a tuxedo, tried to get an hour of sleep, and we are here. And I still watch I did watch a movie yesterday. What do you think, Coca? What movie do you think I would watch yesterday? Do you have any any idea? Are you are you willing to fashion a guess as to the movie I would have watched yesterday? Because if you can't guess it, I'd be shocked. He's about to guess it. You can say it louder. You nailed it. Frank. Frank. I watched Father of the Bride. Steve Martin, Diane Keaton. That that country music singer's wife. Allison. Kimberly Williams. Kimberly Williams. Who is she married to? Not Tug McGraw, that's Faith Hill from 1883. Another guy with a hat, though. I'm almost positive. Can you think of it? Anyway, I watched Father of the Bride because how do you not? But I also watched a series during the course of the week. Brad Paisley. Yes, Coca. Did you actually know that or did you GTS? Did you Google that shit or did you know that Brad Paisley's married to Kimberly Williams? He GTSed it. Of course he did. Thank you, Coca. So I watched Josh Gad, friend of the show, Known him for a very long time. Went to the same high school as my kids. A unbelievable actor. Broadway, movies. And now he is in a TV series called Wolf Like Me with Borat's wife. Coincidentally, full circle, folks, Isla Fisher was in Wedding Crashers. So they're in this show. It's six episodes, 25 minutes an episode. And it's about two people in a relationship. And they each have a problem. Josh Gad's problem is that he's a widower trying to raise a very difficult teen or preteen. I'd say she's preteen. She's got some anxiety issues. She's got, I miss my mother because she's not alive issues. Josh Gad has the typical father issues. Now he has to be the cook. He has to be the cleaner. He has to be the mother. He has to be the father. Yada, yada. His whole life is his daughter. Thinks he's screwing her up tries to meet someone, meets someone, and realizes the person he meets has bigger problems than he does. This six-episode arc was perfect. It was like, a to me, it was a three-hour movie is what I'd like you to look at it. And you can watch the three-hour movie in one-hour sections. You can watch it all at once, which I did. I binged it all at once. Or you can watch one a day. They're all available now. But the development of the movie, the sentimentality of the movie, the message of the movie, and I'm calling it a movie purposefully, the acting, the story, it was really, really well done. 
wolf like me. Is it realistic? You got to suspend disbelief. Can you do that? I think you can. Wolf like me. Check it out. It's on Peacock. I got the one, I think the $4.99 one with ads. I think I'm going to make that the $9.99 one because I don't like ads. And I was thinking about doing that. Coca, do you think your phone listens to you? Do you think that when you're thinking of something or when you see something or talk about something that all of a sudden you get Facebook ads or Twitter ads? So I'm deciding what to do with Peacock. Do I do the $4.99, the $9.99? Because the first episode was free, but I needed to watch the last five. So I was getting Peacock. It is what it is. No sooner am I checking things on Tic Tac, talk, tick, boom, when there is a video of this app that keeps track of all of your streaming services, sees where there's duplication, and helps you lower your monthly bills. You can't tell me that's a coincidence. That I had the thought about, oh, this is going to be another $4.99 or another $9.99. This is getting crazy. Do I have the Hulu Live? And then I've got this. I've got the CBS, the Paramount, everything. And then the TikTok video comes, one that I'd never seen about this app that controls and tells you everything. GMAB. It can't be. You want to talk about a conspiracy theory? I don't believe the vaccine put a chip in my eye, but I will tell you, my phone is listening. Hello. Hey, NSA. Did I have fun at the wedding last night? Are you looking at me now? Are you looking at me now? Hey, shove it. I think they have better things to do than watch me dance like I have no rhythm. Okay. Ooh, the Joker. He landed in Serbia this morning. He was landing in Serbia as I was going to bed. We've been following him on Flight Tracker. Where in the world is Djokovic? Because he's not in Australia. And we told you on January 6th, our wait to see was that Novak will not be allowed to play the Australian Open. There's been some ups and downs since then. It's been a total cluster duck. There have been lawyers. There have been appeals. But the bottom line is he's not vaccinated. He did not fill out his entry forms correctly. He was disingenuous about what he did after he got COVID. Unclear, did he have COVID? Did he not have COVID? With COVID, did he do interviews? Was he without a mask? Did he purposely lie? Did he not lie? Was it his lawyers who did it without him knowing? All of this was so he could try to break the Grand Slam record because this is not some rinky-dink tournament. The Australian Open is a Grand Slam. The prime minister wanted him out. And it became a international story. I've never seen anything like this. It was a distraction to players who were getting annoyed. It was not really fair what they did with Djokovic putting him in some detained hotel. If you're going to get rid of him, get rid of him. Boom. See you later. We waited to see. I got to talk about what happened, though. I don't know if you know. I, I didn't know any of this, but there's a rule in the Australian Open. And I don't know if it's all the Grand Slams. But it's certainly the Australian Open because I read about it. There's a draw. A draw is when they announce the seedings of players. And that's an announcement. Djokovic was seeded one. Even though he did not have permission to play, he was named a seed. The tournament started Monday, which is yesterday. Well, it's Monday here, but it's already tomorrow there. So they started yesterday. They're already starting tomorrow's action today. Yesterday. 
It's finished. I hope DraftKings can pay attention to this because the Australian Open matches from Monday are already over. So I hope they're not taking bets on those. So Djokovic has won three straight Australian Opens, nine total. He's sitting there, number one seed. And the rule is that if play starts in the tournament and then the court would have said, your visa's revoked, see you later, his first round opponent would have had a walkover and gone to the second round. If, however, his visa's revoked before play starts, but after the draw is set and the seedings and brackets are done, then it is not a walkover. He gets replaced. The number five seed becomes the number one seed. That's strange. But more importantly, a player who lost in the qualifying round gets bumped up and gets to be in the tournament. And that player is called the lucky loser. Yesterday, Salvatore Caruso, you just became famous. You are the lucky loser. You are the 150th seeded player in the world, and you're now playing in the Australian Open only because the courts in Australia did not act quickly enough. They wanted more arguments, more written documents. And as time continued to pass and it tick-tocked closer to the start of the Australian Open, did you know you'd be chosen? Was it a lottery? You are the lucky loser, Salvatore. Isn't that a weird rule? We got to follow him, Coca. Can we follow whether he wins his first match? I assume he'll get his butt kicked, right? Straight sets. But we should watch it. Imagine if he goes on to win the tournament and his whole life changed or if he even makes the quarters. And his seating goes up and he gets invites to all these tournaments after this. His whole life could have changed or he could lose love and love and that's the end of him. I'm happy that Jokovic is back in Serbia. What a tool. Nothing personal pick of the day. How'd you guys do? I know how we did. We went 2-1 and one this weekend. Do you remember the beginning of the weekend? Do you remember we had the Warriors plus 3.5 versus the Bulls? And you were wondering why I was so bullish on that? How could the Warriors be getting three and a half? They won the damn game, 1-0. We told you what happened in the Pats-Bills game. Just got absolutely crushed. By the way, Coca's in my ear. We are live. Coca, you are the best. Salvatore Caruso, congratulations. You did not make it out of the first round. He lost his first round match in straight sets. The lucky loser has lost. We tried to make him famous, Coca. And see, that's the funniest part. He doesn't play until yesterday. Tomorrow. Sorry, cut that. He's in Australia. 4-12-69. Salvador Caruso's first match will be played tomorrow, and he already lost in straight sets. Saturday, we had the Pats plus four. We got our ass kicked. The Bulls just crushed him. Sunday, we had the Bucks over the Eagles. Easy money. Two and one. We're nine and three to start the season with picks of the day. We got another football game today. Rams, Cardinals. Jim Hart of the Cardinals is the quarterback going against Kurt Warner, who's coming out of retirement to be the quarterback for this team. The Rams are favored by three and a half. I'll take Warner over Hart any day of the week. Rams, three and a half over the Cardinals. Okay, before we get to see, we want to talk to Samson. Did you know that uh, Hannah's wedding date is January 16th. Did you know that was the 24th anniversary of Half Baked? 
Half-Baked came out January 16th, 1998. I didn't know that when the wedding date was chosen. I didn't choose the wedding date. Could anything be more perfect than getting married on the day Half-Baked was released? Let's go, Coca. You know what I want. I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson in honor of Half-Baked. 24 years old yesterday. 24 in a day today. There's a character named Samson. So get yourself baked. Watch Half-Baked. Celebrate the 24th anniversary. Get into my Twitter, David P. Samson. Ask any question you want. And here was the question today. So you want to talk to Samson. Hi, David. Hi. How did you deal with a former player ripping you and your team? Thank you. I was going to take that question. Now, what's he talking about? Or she? Or they? I don't know who asked this. Did you see what Irvin Magic Johnson did over the weekend? Irvin Magic Johnson is one of the top, if not the top point guard who ever played the game. Went to, went to uh, college somewhere. He was in that college final. I'm totally blanking. Michigan. Michigan. Um, no, I thought Larry Bird. Oh, Larry Bird went to Indiana State, and he went to Michigan State. Is that correct? Fine. Magic Johnson was an executive. He's a part owner of the Dodgers. You've seen him. He famously got AIDS, was forced to retire, came back, was HIV positive. He's now the picture of health. He is incredibly charitable. He has lived a, a full life since his diagnosis. He is a hero to many on and off the court. He, he goes to inner cities and redevelops and rebuilds. He gets rich off doing it, but still, as a consequentialist, not only is it good for him, but it's good for the community. So he uses Twitter as a way to take little jabs, to give little comments that are very bizarre. He does some of them basketball-related, some of them baseball-related. He'll just make observations that are just observations. So he did a tweet yesterday. I can't remember. Was it yesterday? Was it two days ago? Whenever it was. Basically saying that the Lakers are not a good team. I'm going to sum it up for you. The whole experiment with Westbrook and Anthony, it's just, it's not working. And he was very, and he's upset. And he believes that Jeannie Buss, the owner of the team, is not getting her money's worth. And this was after the Lakers. Remember, they got blown out by the Nuggets. This happened like a couple days ago. The Lakers, there was a stat that it was the first time maybe ever that the Patriots and Lakers both lost by 30-plus points on the same day. That was a Jason Stark special. And he was upset about the effort. So he tweets out, there's no effort, and you owe more to Jeannie Buss. You deserve better, he said. If I'm LeBron James, I don't respond to that. I'm not getting into a public fight with Irvin Magic Johnson. Irvin Magic Johnson means more to L.A. than LeBron ever will. Irvin Magic Johnson has won more titles with L.A. than LeBron ever will. However, it is incredibly inappropriate for Magic to do that. Don't rip the team. So, I, Coca, I know LeBron responded. It's, I'm saying he shouldn't have responded. Okay. We had players who did that to us. And I'm going to give you two examples. Stanton did it. 
and Cliff Floyd did it. In both cases, I went to the player directly. One case, we had traded the player, but I still reached out to Cliff and talked to him about why he said what he said, why he was wrong to say what he said, and asking him to be better and apologizing for any miscommunication. With Stanton after the 2012 trade, and he tweeted something, how angry he was, I called him up and said, you're a part of this team. If you have a problem, come talk to me. Let me explain to you, because you know what we did. You know the year we had. You know why we did it. You don't need to publicly embarrass us because it's a reflection of you. When you rip somebody and you don't have all the facts, it makes you look bad. When you have an opinion about something or somebody that is based on speculation, put it out as opinion. Don't put it out as fact. Put it out as this is my take on the situation, but there could be more. I don't have the full story. Because otherwise you come off as not just to know it all, but you come off as a malcontent. You come off as somebody who is like trying to become relevant in a situation where they have no right to be. And then you force us to respond just like magic forced LeBron to respond. So LeBron had to say, I'm sorry, I'll do better. I promise we're going to be better. That's not how LeBron really feels. You think LeBron isn't giving you effort? It's very frustrating to me when players do that. But I would like to point out it's even more frustrating when it's a retired player. Because that's what magic is. While he is still the GOAT in LA, he's a retired player who should be minding his own business. So if I'm Jeannie Buss, I'm calling Magic Johnson, I'm calling LeBron James, I'm inviting Magic to come to a practice, and I'm asking that the team and Magic see each other, talk to each other, because then, and only then, is there a chance that you've put out that fire and it won't restart? Because as an executive, one of the worst things you do when you, when you deal with a situation is if, if you don't fully deal with it, like you leave the embers going, it's like walking out of your house with the candle still lit or with the oven on or with the dryer on, it's likely nothing bad's gonna happen. But if it's your turn, something really bad could happen. Wait to see. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. If it does, we revisit it. If it doesn't, we revisit it. Have you seen, it's not about effort, have you seen the results of the Lakers? They stink. We called it early on. Trade deadline is February 10th. Russell Westbrook is being shaded by teams. You see the Sacramento Kings were playing the song by Farner. He's as cold as ice. And the NBA had to call the Sacramento Kings and say, stop playing that, which means the president had to call the in-game entertainment people and said, don't do that anymore. You're fired. But of course, you're not fired because we gave you permission to play the song. And by the way, you can play a different song that's not Farner, that's not Cold as Ice. Anyway, wait to see. Russell Westbrook will not be traded, number one. Number two, the Lakers will not escape the play-in tournament. They're going to have to play in to get into the playoffs. There's that play-in with seed seven through 10. That's where they're gonna end up. If it weren't for the Sacramento Kings being so bad, I would think the Kings could catch them. And then the Lakers could miss the playoffs entirely. The experiment by LeBron to be surrounded by his friends 
It doesn't work. How many times do we have to say it? Jeannie Buss should have walked right into LeBron's house when he was making them sign these players and said, LeBron, we're not going to listen to you. We want to win another title, don't you? Come on. It's just business. I'm father of the bride. It's a little personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.